Welcome to your highest version, the podcast where I want you to be the highest version of yourself. My name is Hope Matole. I am the host and founder of this podcast. I'm a communicator, a conversation starter, a voice, healer, and a safe space creator. So if there's one thing to be sure of, this is definitely a safe space. I am also the founder and president of a female NPO known as Contagious Classy Divas Network. I hold a master's degree in psychology and am a counseling psychologist by profession. Yep, a whole counseling psychologist. In this podcast, we are going to do the work that helps us to meet and become the highest versions of ourselves. So are you guys ready? Come on and join us. Let's go. version so today i'm gonna have an amazing conversation with two individuals we are going to be talking about counseling psychology master selection and we're also going to be talking touching on an aspect of self-care which is quite important from selection the selection process to the m1 to the internship so the first individual i'm going to talk to is a writer a speaker and an autism educator who recently added the titles wife and a farmer to her list of the many things that she does. She's passionate about being a catalyst for social change through practice, research, and creating a culture of talk. Her other interests lie in sustainable development, route to market innovation, and education. She holds a diploma in counseling and communication skills, which she obtained from SACAP, and applied a Bachelor of Applied Social Sciences degree, which she also obtained at SACAP, a Bachelor of Science Honors in Psychology, which she obtained at WITS, and she is yet to be a registered counseling psychologist who currently is completing her research component of her master's, which she is doing at the University of Pretoria. So ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome to the show, Eliota Machele. Hey, Eliota. Hi, it's Matsilla, but I'll take that. I was about to ask if I pronounced that right. (laughs) Thank you for correcting me. (laughs) How are you doing? I'm good. How are you, girl? I'm very good. I'm in a good space. Awesome. Okay. So the other individual that we'll be conversating with currently resides in Pretoria with her fiance and she's getting married in October. Congrats to you. She obtained a BA psychology degree at the Nelson Mandela University. Um, a Bachelor of Applied Social Sciences Honours at SACAP. She was the first candidate on the shortlist after clinical psychology master's selection at SMU. She currently is doing her master's in counselling psychology at the University of Pretoria, basically doing her M2, which is her internship at Charis Psychological Services. She's passionate about animals, and that's why her master's research um, is is on animal assistance activities which she's also currently doing to complete her degree. So ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Michaela Lawrence. Hey, Michaela. Hi. I said your surname right, right? (laughs) Yes, you did. I'm glad. I feel very bad about pronouncing people's surnames wrong. And every time I introduce people, I literally ask, 
did I say it right? Even if I know that I did say it right. Welcome to the show, ladies. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you for inviting us to be here. Sure. Awesome. So um, there's a quick thing that I do with my guests, right? It's a quick check-in. So what I want to know from you guys is you've kind of said, how are you? But how are you? Where are you? How is the weather like where you are? And is there any beverage that you are drinking as we have in this conversation? <laughs> if you are drinking something, what are you drinking? We want to know. <laughs> well, I am, I'm actually feeling balanced after a very long time in my life, feeling, um, you know, unsettled. Yeah. Uh, I'm feeling balanced. The weather here is cool. Um, I am currently in Polokwane, which is known for high heat. Mm. Um, surprisingly, it's cool today. And I'm hydrating with some water, minding my business. Oh, yay. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Michaela, what about you? Um, after a, quite a long week, I'm feeling very grateful that it's Friday uh, because I'm still working and I'm also still doing my research. Um, feeling a little stressed at the moment. So the the Friday and the weekend is very welcomed at this stage. Um, in terms of the weather, it's, it's stunning. I love, I love it when it rains. It makes me feel calm and refreshed. So that's really setting the mood at the moment. Um, I don't have any beverages, but I am dreaming about coffee, which okay. I, I normally <laughs> I normally have at the end of the day. So um, after this, I'll, I'll definitely spoil myself. Okay, please do that. You are deserving. <laughs> okay, I am drinking water. This is probably the one beverage I'm always drinking because I just enjoy water. But mostly when I'm recording, I drink water because... I sometimes have just very serious voice experience, um, voice challenges, which is kind of what I said before we started getting into the episode to you guys. So because I haven't been, you know, doing therapy, doing workshops, I don't talk as much. Um, and when I have to talk lately, I feel like my voice just gets strained, like immediately, like 10 minutes in the more I'm talking, like it's just, it's almost leaving. Mm. But, um, yeah, <laughs> we'll get through. Okay, so you guys, we're going to jump right in, um, talking about selection and then later on talking about self-care. But what I want to ask generally from you guys is, at which point of your lives do you feel like you knew that you wanted to be in the psychology field? Al, do you want to go first? <laughs> well, you can go first. I've been responding first. I'll give you the spot. That's, that's so kind of you. <laughs> um, so for me, uh, I think it was back when I was 15 years old. So I unfortunately went through the process where my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer um, while I was in school. And um, at the time, it was very emotionally difficult for, for both myself and my family. Uh, we yeah. were very unsure about our futures um, you know, questioning what uh, death meant, uh, what impact it would have on us as individuals and as a family unit. Mm. Um, and we definitely struggled with the change. Um, and at the time, I went to go see a psychologist, actually a clinical psychologist at the time, not obviously at the time knowing all the difference between clinical counseling, all those things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it didn't actually matter because she offered a space that was so sacred um, and really allowed me to. Uh, walk through the different 
stages um, that my mom was going through and what I was going through. Um, but, you know, at the time I also got to see, because it was in, in, you know, a hospital setting, the absolute need for support um, for people with chronic illnesses and just in general, actually, because I think when you, you know, when, when you're so privileged, there's not as much space to see when people struggle. Yeah. Um, and going through such struggle um, with my family, I got to really see what was out there and what was needed. Um, so I knew at that stage that I wanted to make a difference um, with people in general. And by going through my own psychologist, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted yeah. to be a psychologist that made a difference. And amazingly so, she actually, um, she was a psychologist that stepped through all of the different phases up until my, my mom's passing in 2017 as well. Mm. She was with me. So it just affirmed exactly what I wanted to do. Wow. What about you, Elieta? Um, Well, for me, I have always been the parentified child. So in some way, I've always had the hero syndrome. Yeah. And wanted to be a helper in some form. Um, psychologist wasn't necessarily the word that I had at that time, but I knew I wanted to be a helper in some for way or mm. form. I think it was only in matric where I decided psychology because I felt that um, the narrative had to change in my own family with regards to help seeking and understanding mental health from a different perspective because it was so taboo and um, the alternatives were always only church and just talk to the elders and that for me was never sufficient. So I think I went initially into psychology for my own brokenness to understand myself because I couldn't get it as the parent by child I always had to be the strong one so I have actually at that time never allowed someone else to be my pillar or to be a safe space for me so in a way I was still continuing to be the parent by child but I actually found healing in becoming a psychologist and yeah that's that's how it began for me that's how I knew I wanted to be it for myself first more than for other people yeah the interesting thing the similarity with both your story is summed up in a quote a quote i heard somewhere which is um i'm I'm paraphrasing but it's something like we give to others what we need most because when i think of it that's my story exactly in terms of getting into the field of psychology or wanting to be a psychologist kind of like this is what i needed that I either received or did not receive, but this is what I would like to provide for other people. You know, that safe space, that ability to be heard and to be seen. But while we're on that, um, how many times did you guys apply uh, for masters and how many selection processes like in total did you guys um, go through? Um. I uh, I applied at the University of Pretoria and the University of Johannesburg um, and first time I got in at UP so I didn't attend UJ. I just instantly was I'm getting in I'm not going through the selection process again so that was your first year of applying wow yes wow well done girl well Thank done you. <laughs> Michaela um i i laugh because i had the same sentiments as l yeah <laughs> i applied to to six universities um across south africa i applied to um 
Nelson Mandela University, Poch, Stellenbosch, UJ, SMU, Tux, and UKZN. Mm. Uh, these were places I was kind of willing to move to. So I had to, I already kept in mind what would work for me financially and where yeah. family was situated and things. Um, I was invited to the processes at UKZN, SMU, and Tux. Um, I attended both the SMU and uh, Tux processes uh, and was invited to UKZN, but I had already been accepted at Tux. Mm -hmm. um, so I declined the UKZN interviews. So you guys are like the 1%. Yeah, I you know how they say the 1% of people get in literally in their first year of trying. Yeah, I didn't expect it. <laughs> I really? <laughs> really? No. Did you expect it, Eliotta? Did you think you're going to go through a couple of selections, a couple of years, or did you expect it? I, yo, for me, I, I feel like my, I have parents who are like, who coach you when it comes to things <laughs> like this. I believe that you're the best thing to ever happen to that university. So I think a large part of me was like, mm -hmm. um, and, and I think my faith also plays a lot in this, that I had yeah. so much faith and so much confidence in what I had to offer. And I had such a teachable spirit and I was ready to display that. So yeah, I think my faith at the time, but immediately when I stepped out, I was like, sure. I don't know what's gonna happen yeah yeah because mm. i was actually I it, yeah yeah go ahead I, th I think it was a little bit different for me um my i had gone through something quite difficult the year before when my mom yeah. had passed so for me it was like i i worked my ass off to get there but mm. and then you as as with many things that happen in life whether it's a passing whether it's COVID, whether it's whatever it's a difficult time it does sometimes make you question like is this is this meant to be <laughs> you yeah. hear all the stories and it sounds mm -hmm. terrifying it sounds yeah. terrifying i was the reason why i asked you guys the question about you know were you confident you know in making the one percent was because i also got in well my first year of trying but my second um selection process so i went to uj didn't make it there, but got to like the last round, just didn't make the class. And then like two weeks later, I went to NW, which is where I got in on the first year of trying. And the reason why I'm asking you about the confidence question is because I feel like I was a bit naive because I was like, I'm getting in. Because I feel like um, what you said, Elliot, I think my, my faith also played quite a huge role. Because when we got to, both of you studied at SACAP, but when we got to SACAP, I started SACAP at first year. Um, that's when literally, you know how you go to university and you're like thinking in three in three years after my degree, I'm going to be a psychologist, right? Mm -hmm. And then you actually get to class and they give you the reality of what it takes to be a psychologist yeah. and that you, you have to study until your master's. And it's like, oh, well, papa, you know. But I remember mm -hmm. sitting in that class and every time we'd engage with our lecturers who would sometimes just give us their time in terms of talking about selection, I always would sow a seed of prayer in terms of, I'm going to make the 1% because I remember like they would say there's 1% of people who make it on the first year of trying and from literally my first year every time I remembered even when I was spending time in prayer I would literally pray about making the 1% <laughs> so I went to selection even with UJ because I thought I was going to get accepted at UJ and then I'm also going to get accepted at NWU because I felt like um, I was in a position in my life where I needed a change I'd been in Joburg for like five years and I knew it was time to leave. So obviously UJ yeah. is Joburg. That wouldn't have been the place. But I thought I was going to be accepted as UJ and I was going to, you know, 
reject UJ instead of UJ rejecting me. And then I'd go to NWU, but obviously God made it work in a way where I would have no choice but to go to NWU. Cause I mean, you know, UJ is easy. It's we have around, mm-hmm. we have always lived. I probably wouldn't mm-hmm. have rejected UJ and rejected the other one, but literally I went in with like, I'm, I'm getting in this year. I don't know where, but I'm getting in because, um, Merely for the reason that, you know, in my mind, I had been praying (laughs) from first year that I'd get in. But that's actually a great segue to asking you guys, how did you prepare for selection? What did you do? Did you read the DSM? What did you do in preparation for the DSM, for, um, for selection? Even if it's not something you did closer to the time, but what would you say are the little nuggets that contributed to your preparation for a selection process anyway? Michaela? You want to go first? You guys are so cute. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's interesting because I, I met Elle during the selection process at UP. Yeah. Um, we uh, caught our first glances of each other. Um, uh, sure. So this is, it's interesting because I, I actually went back onto my phone. Um, uh, I have notes that I made on my phone at the time. So mm. this is stuff that I legitimately did do. I'm not, pulling it out of three years of memory. Um, so one of the thing, first things I did was that I brushed up on, on ethics um, because ethics are such an important part of psychology, um, not only for, your, um, for you as a professional, but also for your future clients as well. Yeah. Um, so that was a very big thing and it was something that ended up coming up in um, the selection process. Mm. Um, and another thing I did at the time, obviously we had, it was, I think it was a year or two into the DSM-5. Obviously we're a bit further from, from then because this, I, uh, I think I went to selections in 2018. So I, at the time, read up on the changes between the DSM-4 and DSM-5, knew, um, you know, the different sections and whatnot. I'm not going to lie to you and say that I knew every single detail because that would yeah. be ridiculous, but at least had a good, um, knowledge basis over all of them sort of thing um but not in in in-depth detail because i don't think that that is possible um the other thing that i did was um i really i considered very very seriously why it is that i wanted to do psychology because these people they're you know they're lecturers but they're also real people They're, they're going to know more or less when you're being um, congruent, when you're being genuine. Yeah. And, and they want to see that you're a real person as well. I know that we are obviously in a space where you, you put your best foot forward and that you're setting yourselves up to, to look appealing. But they also want to see that you are who you say you are. Um, and these are people that are going to see you over five days. They'll see inconsistencies and whatnot. They've been doing this for many years. So um, I, I sat down with myself and I really had a good conversation and said, you know, what is, why are you doing this? Is it because it's the next step or is it because you genuinely want to do this? And yeah. why is that? So um, I really, you know, considered my vulnerabilities um, and how I thrive in my environment and how that would translate to psychology as well as being a therapist in the future. Um, alongside that as well, obviously values and morals um, as me as an individual, but also me growing up and how that has changed over the years. Uh, So expanding on my understanding and my growth as well. 
because um, I found that a lot of people want to see your growth. You're, you're not a stagnant person. You're going to become more than what, um, than what you are in M1 to M2 uh, in terms of so it changes your life. Yeah. So you're going to grow. They want to see how you're going to grow as an individual. So obviously you want to also consider your weaknesses um, and the strategies you've put into place to work through them, mm. which seems like a um, which seems like a normal thing. But when you get posed the question and you're like, oh, I don't want to appear weak. I, yeah, I'm not a weak yeah. person. Um, so you try to to cover it up, but there's no point in doing that because we're all weak in some parts of ourselves, and that's okay. Um, they want to see how you you're trying to work through it. Mm. Um, so putting your weaknesses in, in a positive light, if you if you want to think about it like that, um, that's what I found was quite useful for me. Um, but yeah, overall, I found to to be transparent to be the most um, useful tool. Um, and to be congruent because uh, masters is stressful as a whole even before you get there the master selection was like hunger games in my eyes yeah so <laughs> to be expected. Um, you know assignments clients research so they want to see how you're going to fit with the um the class as a whole yeah um so there's no point in putting on a on a brave face and then they plop you in the middle of these five other people and then you're like well, I don't actually fit with these people at all. Mm. So, um, yeah, those are just some of the things also considering support systems as well and, and how you are going to play structure in your life so that you can actually make it through. Yeah, yeah. I like what you said there um, about congruency because I think in in the process of us trying to put our best foot forward you know we can sometimes play ourselves and not be very congruent you know and the other thing there is the fact that everything that is done there is looked at holistically so if you're going to mm. pretend to be someone else you might have said something in your panel interview that really doesn't match what you said in your individual interview which didn't match what you said in like even the process of paper selection where you submitted your essay and your motivation mm. so it's quite important mm. to be congruent um Eliotta, what would you say in terms of your preparation process um sure so for me the initial thing i did was um consult with people who had been through that experience uh, both who accomplished and got in and got selected and those who didn't manage to get in just to get um insight on on how they handled the rejection or handled you know the process and for those who are in how what they think made it work what yeah. worked for them mm-hmm. um essentially um, after that, I just started reflecting on my biases and, you know, and my spirituality because insight from those people were that you need to know what your biases are and how they impact, uh, how they would impact you as a, um, you know, and as an aspiring counseling psychologist. So I had to reflect on my privileges as well, you mm. know, my heterosexual privilege, mm. um, and just my identity as a black woman because you know just uncomfortable conversations essentially because we're afraid to talk about these topics and they do bring them up so learning to be comfortable to talk about my experiences and my biases and so forth um another thing i did was i actually um researched the counseling psychologist at up just to get a feel of who they are what they like oh that's smart. Uh, i think <laughs> 
that was quite strategic for me because yeah. I was able to reflect on things that they liked. Um, don't know if that's congruent, Michaela, but you know it worked. Um, <laughs> and I also <laughs> and I also did a lot of research in terms of um, current developments in counseling psychology, current gaps, and yeah. and how I would fit in those gaps. Um, and I also made sure that I know at least like two theories mm. off by heart. Mm-hmm. I could apply my life experience to it because I knew that it was also something that they touch on. Um, and yeah, I also reflected on my own therapy. So I spoke to my psychologist at that time because mm-hmm. I knew that some of the questions might trigger me. So just sort of gauging where I was at and how much I would be triggered and so forth. Um, and I actually also, what I did was I, I just had fun. I didn't want to stress too much about it. I just wanted to, you know, just be myself and not become so rigid or so scared that mm. I couldn't walk walking. Um, yeah, so that sums up a bit of what I did. Awesome. Um, you guys really did some preparation, hey? That is, that is so deep <laughs> and serious, you know? I think of, um, I always say I'm probably the worst person to give advice in terms of preparing for M selection. Well, which is a joke. In retrospect, I think I can. But looking at my preparation, like I said earlier, there was nothing really professional or academic. But then also, which raises the point that I've said in a couple of these podcasts that I've been recording, um, is the fact that you also need to trust the training that you received in honors. Because it's there, you know it, it's in your head, you know, it's something, so I'm not saying don't prepare, but, you know, there are certain things that you might feel a bit unprepared um, in certain activities or certain questions that they ask, but you can always rely in those moments, you know, yes, be yourself, be congruent, but you can also always, um, you know, rely on the education and the training that you got in your honors, because you have it. You completed your honors, you passed your honors, you know, you do have all of that in your head, in your memory somewhere. So I think that that just highlights that as well. So I want to you know, I think, yeah. sorry to ahead. jump in. Mm-hmm. No um, I think a lot of people undermine um, colleges. Like we went, I think the three of us went to say yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, some people tend to undermine that and you end up actually being part of those people because you think I went to a college, mm. um, how is that going to impact um, the process? But I think we were fortunate to go to a college with applied psychology, where it was actually yeah. quite practical. And mm-hmm. my initial thought when I got to selections was, even though I was confident, I was like, sure, these people look like they have it all together. Mm-hmm. This person is from this person is from this university. And, and then I was like, actually, you know what? I actually have the knowledge and it's actually applied, not just textbook. Yeah. And I think that's the confidence then increased. Yeah. And just to just to add to that, you know, the thing is that everyone kind of looks like they have their their, their stuff together, but mm-hmm. reality is, <laughs> it's very much not like that. And I know people say that, but it is most definitely true yeah. because of the people that ended up in our class, just asking them about how selection went, they were equally as terrified, and they also had many thoughts and feelings. Even the people that were actually from UP the, themselves. Who yeah. got in? Yeah. Um, they also they if anything they got drilled a bit harder um, mm-hmm. because of the lecturers knew them. So um, you know you, you you're going to have a lot of different personalities at um, selections. It's it's to know um, as as you say to know yourself and to know that you you got your back. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you guys raised two very interesting points. The one, Michaela, where you spoke about, you know, everyone looks like they have their shit together. You can say that on my podcast. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, everybody looks like they have their shit together. And I also realized that in Masters that we all were in this competition and then we were all in the same class. But we actually had a very close net, you know, our, our class was very, our peer support was amazing. We were, our class was very close. Mm-hmm. We like took lunch together, like the whole class, clinical and psych. But when we actually start to speak about our fears, when we'd sit on the grass during lunch and actually talk, you realize that nobody has it together. So when you're sitting in class, it looks like, oh my gosh, Michaela has it together. She's answering all the questions. Eliot is always, you know, answering and asking questions. She looks mm-hmm. like she knows what she's talking about. But when we all sit and talk, it's like, nah, bruh, we all going through it. I'm as yeah. scared and doubtful as the next person. But you can only realize that when you start talking to your fellow individuals. But on Eliotta's mm-hmm. point as well, in terms of coming from a college, you know, I also had a bit of that when I went to, especially, I feel like especially the UJ selection, I felt like, oh my gosh, she's from Vids, she's from here, she's, from, you know what I mean? But the truth mm-hmm. there is that we, I feel like we actually have the upper hand in terms of the applied part of psychology, because yeah. we did like role plays. We had field work, you know, in undergrad. And the Mm. other thing with that, I remember in my internship, when we had one of our meetings very early on, like literally our internship coordinator was like, do you understand and realize that you are the most experienced one because of the kind of college that you come from in terms of practical work? Like you have had the most exposure of the three of you in terms of practical work. You've worked at a hospital. You, you've done, I mean, therapy at a, at, a, at a children's home. You've done therapy at school with primary kids, children. And these people, their first experience, not in a competitive way, but just highlighting, you know, it was kind of a conversation mm-hmm. that we were having in the boardroom. Kind of like hope is actually the most experienced in terms of practicals of all our three interns so that's Mm -hmm. very true you kind of think oh my gosh I come from this you know small college it's not but you know you kind of (laughs) think of that when you hear about big names like Vits and UJ and NWU and you are in you know competition with those people competing for a spot so I can definitely understand that I had the same feeling as well at UJ especially I think um, from from the other side of things, so I while I went to stay camp for honours, obviously I didn't um, go from undergrad, so I didn't have any of the applied side of things. Yeah. So it was a bit frightening for me because by the time I had finished honours, um, I'd like done, I'd had experience in repairing and mm. um, I'd done quite a few personal growth courses and counselling courses and stuff at Lifeline previously. Yeah. And I thought, well these are great, but there's not a lot of, um, a lot of experience. Here. I have a lot of life experience, which mm. counts for a lot. It does. Don't get me wrong. Um, but they also want to see that I have had a little bit of experience in other things. So for, um, for a good year, I applied myself really hard um, at Lifeline in Johannesburg, as well as um, at SADAG as well. So I won't say that I had an immense amount of um, experience, but I took a very big interest in my own growth and knowing myself, and I think that made a difference. Um, yeah. Along with the fact that I, I had a bit of um, counselling experience at Lifeline and SADAG, um, but I I don't want people to think that they need to have all the experience in the world to get into yeah. masters. It's not only about that. It's important, but it's not only about that. Yeah. I looked mm. down on colleges, and little did I know. Yeah. That SACAP was the best thing to happen to me. I, I am not just saying that. It was yeah. amazing. Yeah. So, um, yeah. 
I feel like if I hadn't started out at SACAB, I probably wouldn't have made it to master's because also I started at SACAB with the higher certificate um, and I didn't have like proper in, enough marks, like proper marks from my matric mm -hmm. to like go to, you know, um, straight into a degree at a university. So I started with the certificate. So had I not gotten that, I probably would have stayed else because also everyone around me was like you should probably consider something else because you're not going to qualify <laughs> you know you didn't make mm -hmm. it into a psychology mm -hmm. degree but then I worked my way from a certificate and then eventually bridged into the degree honors and 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 so I think yeah I definitely probably would not be where I am now if I hadn't gone through SACAB um, so I'm also quite grateful for that um, so you guys um, I just want you to kind of run us down on the day-to-day -day of like what is the reality in terms of the day-to-day -day of being an M1 student so we're talking classes just run us down through that because I think a lot of people think masters is like you know in a lot of fields masters is kind of like this part-time thing that you do on the side where you attend probably like mm -hmm. 10 classes in the whole year <laughs> and then you just do your mm -hmm. dissertation and you finish it in that exact same year but it's quite different in psychology can you give us the reality of that so anyone can start and then the next person can just add on to what maybe the, the, the first person didn't touch on. It was such a slap in the face when I realized <laughs> I have to attend every day. I had to process that. Um, so yeah, the life of an M1 student is class every single day uh -huh. um, and having to be reflective with each module. Yeah. Um, and apply it to your like your life scenario or life experience. Um, it's also having to deal with group dynamics because we are all individuals coming from diverse backgrounds, um, moved by different things, um, different personalities. Um, it's about constantly being given assessments and just work. Uh -huh. um, and told that you are no longer a student, you are now a professional and you have to speak like one so um, <laughs> having to change the language yeah 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 it was quite a transition um but yeah i'd say that sums up a bit of how the day looks and um it never ends like when you get home you get a mini break and you just have to continue otherwise you will slack yeah, yeah. um just to add to that um like at the beginning of the year we we got a, a timetable that kind of outlined what the year mm. would map um, what would look like, what topics we would cover, who would be doing it with us. Um, but <laughs> come come the, the topic, you get assigned all these assignments um, and all this training. And as Elle says, like, it doesn't stop. You, you get this and then you must go home and do it for tomorrow. Yep. Um, along with that, uh, we did therapy twice a week as well with um, children as well as adults at the university. The children were at um, Itosin Clinic, which is unfortunately closed right now. Mm. But um, that along with, you know, um, so we had to do neuropsych neuro assessments, sorry, uh, psychometric assessments um, as well, report writing, that sort of thing. So there was a, there was a lot, there was a lot going on. Yeah. It, um, it doesn't end yeah. in one people think it's like it is on the movies and it's really not. I know, right? 
Yeah. I don't know. I don't know who, who decided that, but um, yeah. And I've had other people who've done masters in different things mm. like law and whatnot be like, oh, but masters is easy. And I think, yeah, well, okay. very different in our case. Very, very yeah. empathetic of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I felt like it's definitely, you know, like, cause every, every, there's a new thing that you are learning every day. This is, there's an assignment that you could be told about today that you need to submit to, you know, the next day or in yeah. two days, you know, and I, I describe it as it's kind of like there's no comfort zone. They are trying to shake you to a point where you can't find a corner and just hide in it and, you know, and try to find that comfort. Like it's fast paced, you know, there's a lot that you are doing. There's no time and space to just sit down and, you know, just relax or try to find comfort, you know, and there are these last minute assessments that I used to hate. And I feel like sometimes, you know, there are those lecturers that was just do it on purpose. Like, you know that she, like this particular lecture, it's going to throw a last minute thing and not give you like even a week to complete it. So I think mm. the lectures also have so much fun just trying to shake us out of our comfort zone, you know? Mm. My thing was, oh, oh sorry. sorry. <laughs> I, I just wanted to add to what you were saying, Ella, is that also like some, some lecturers of which I can remember particularly from our year, like to, um, how can I say, stir the pot yep. and cause cause uh, things to happen between the, the group members as well. So it's not only like assignments and things, it's also then, as Al said, group dynamics, which can make things very uncomfortable and also not enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and my experience as well, I, my thing was, um, I think some psychologists forget what it's like at this and they end up projecting or um being more of a lecturer than a psychologist if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so i just i get only the academia and not necessarily the personhood and that for me was like a daily struggle which i eventually accepted but that was also one of the things that i uh, struggled with during that time yeah Mm -hmm. yeah I can say the same and it's it's also just um you get to this place where you think well i'm paying a lot of money and i'm attending this really small like i'm the cream of the crop now Mm. um but the support isn't necessarily what you think it would be um because you are now expected as a professional you are on your way a lot of things you have to do yourself and you you have to do a lot behind the scenes yeah yeah how would you guys describe your group cohesion as a group? How many were you guys in the class and how would you describe, you know, just the peer support and the dynamics? <laughs> <laughs> Too soon? <laughs> I'll can, dis- can explain that. I'm not explaining that. <laughs> so, I don't know. Like, it's such a trigger. Well, no, resolved, but okay. it, was, um, you know, it was such a hostile... There were, there were a lot of, um, what do you call, like implicit norms initially, but mm. then, you know, we just, just something just happened. And I think as Michaela mentioned, there were some lecturers who would just like to stir trouble yeah. and, um, everyone just started projecting. Then there were alliances. Then there was a whole, um, like a whole issue around um, racism, a whole issue around being insensitive, mm. um, and, people taking too much airspace, airtime, you know, mm, mm. 
you know, yeah, no, there was quite a division. We even had to have it, have intervention at some point, yeah. but you know, it was quite tough and it made um, going to class extremely yeah. difficult. Yeah. People could just not let their gloves off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. I, okay. I was gonna. I was gonna say this is the the importance of setting up group norms um, mm. very early on in in masters. This is something I've learned obviously now later on. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I do feel like we could have received a bit more support because it could have been how how you experienced it. Hope it, it mm-hmm. could have been. Yeah. Um, it, had been it goes given. back to what. Yeah, what mm-hmm. Hope said about competition. Like, why are we competing? Like, we got we the spot. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We were um, we were six females, actually, um, mm. in the group. We didn't have any males. Um, yes, and, mm. yeah, yeah, and we were three, three white girls and um, three African girls as well. So it yeah. was like... It, it, racism was a thing that came up and was became an issue. Yeah. I guess also, guys, this is why um, a lot of people will say that, you know, yes, they're looking in selection. You know, they're looking at your skills, your experience, your abilities and so on. But they are also looking uh, at the group dynamic and if you are culturally a fit for the university, but also, you know, if you'll fit in the group. And I remember when I was kind of debriefing with one of my mentors. So I went to UJ, didn't make the class, who made, made it all the way to the last round, but didn't make the cut, the class, which meant like out of 20 people, they were going to take, um, I think it was eight and eight, meaning four people didn't make it. And it was me and three other people. And I was kind of, you know, you know, why, why didn't I make it? And we went through a list of things that, you know, my mentor was asking me, do you think this was good? Blah, blah, blah. And in, in the end, we realized that it, it's probably the fact that you are not a fit for the group, right? And at that point, mm-hmm. I was like, ah, oh, man, what does that matter? I'm not there for the group. But I think that's why they also emphasize, you know, ensuring that they have people who they see will kind of not just get along, but they'll be a fit for the group. So I think it's for Mm. reasons like this, because our group, the next group, so the people that got into M, into their master's um, for psych and clinical, because we have one class at NWU, clinical and counseling, and about 98% of the the time we're in the same class. So there's only the element where it's probably like two weeks where the clinical psychs are doing some assessment measure and the counseling people are doing career counseling that's like the one time in the year where we separate right and the class that came after us they had serious problems it was racial issues it was a lot of issues issues not just racial issues and i remember even when i did my m1 and i'd go to my supervisor like she'd be surprised how are you guys getting along so it's actually quite a common thing where you find that groups do not get along but which just makes it even harder because i always feel like you know like as i'm listening to you guys talk now i'm like i wish you guys would have had my experience we were able to be transparent to be vulnerable we worked together we you know like we referred each other to sources we gave each other um different resources if you read a paper on something and you knew somebody had a client who was had the same situation it was literally like family like to this day we still have a group and we text each other so i guess um the point that i wanted to make there is i guess that's why it's important when they talk about a part of selection they look at the group 
and if mm. every individual that they select you know will be um will kind of be a fit for the group because i remember the class after us because i still did my internship on campus the next year there was always complaints like it was this happened and they also actually had to have an intervention and for me it was foreign because i had a completely different experience i'm like you know how how do you guys not get along but i think i guess i guess stuff like that happened you know like you guys said yeah, yeah. um you by the silence that hey <laughs> yeah <laughs> i heard from michaela like i am not jumping in that <laughs> and i was like okay <laughs> that might have yeah so yeah man i think group dynamic is quite important because also if we're being honest the only people who really and master's program is crazy and the only people who really can understand what you are going through is the people in your class like you can go back to your mom or your dad your boyfriend your husband they'll empathize with you but they don't get it right mm -hmm. so the people that okay. truly understand what you are going through you know the the schedule the you know what you are required to deliver on a daily you know the imposter syndrome that you are fighting with the voice that tells you you can't that you're fighting with every day in your head who better to understand that than the exact people that you sit with in class so i think it makes it you know even harder like you say um eliotta just having to go to class was so heavy and i think i can get why do you get what i mean if you're not looking forward to it and if there's such hectic issues in the class environment <clears throat> so ladies um i want to ask you guys so you guys had eliotta did you have a different internship from michaela's one different placements yes i was at the area military health units okay so the yeah so i'm just gonna ask you guys to just briefly outline your internship programs um your experience but also kind of um how how did it look like what did you do what kind of stuff were you involved in what kind of experience you got but also personally how did you experience that kayla <laughs> you're, you're making me group leader here <laughs> I just went on a group a group therapy training weekend, so I'm on more group therapy mode yeah. at the moment. Um, <laughs> so you know what's very cool? Um, I'm very proud, very 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 proud to be part of the company that I work for. Um, it's called Chorus uh, Psychological Services. Yeah. Um, it's this is the second year um, that they have an internship available for counseling psychologists. So I was involved okay. in the first year. Mm -hmm. um, they are a practice, uh, private practice um, of, I think we've got like 12 psychologists now. Mm -hmm. um, all of them counseling, all of them counseling psychologists, except for one, he's a clinical psychologist. Okay. Um, and um we work in different uh hospitals across Kaoting, um physical rehabilitation hospitals lots of people think oh rehab is drugs and whatnot but it's also physical rehab it's got, actually got nothing to do with drugs um it's got to do with people who are physically needing assistance to get stronger if i can say it very simply after a stroke after a traumatic brain injury spinal cord injury um amputation, things like that. So um, I work at two different hospitals, one in Johannesburg and one in Pretoria. Um, and I work with, as I said, a variety of different patients and in a multidisciplinary team that involves doctors, physios, OTs, 
social workers and the, and the like. Um, I don't think that there is another internship site that is like this for counseling psychologists, which is why it's also so very special um, and so close to my heart as well, because I had always wanted to work with chronic illness. Um, I'd always wanted to work with cancer patients, but little did I know that life would lead me this way and now all I want to do is this. Um, so it's very neuro, uh, very neuro based uh, because you're working obviously with people who've been impacted except for spinal cord injuries um, and, and amputations, but I work a lot with stroke and TBI patients. So it's a lot of neuro um, involvement, uh, which is very different than you would get from your everyday people that come in. So um, my day starts off at like seven o'clock in the morning and mm. I do board rounds and, um, you know, see patients go to multidisciplinary team meetings to, you know, chat about how patients are progressing. I do that weekly. Yeah. Um, lots of, lots of meetings and um, also approaching patients on a um, holistic basis, like patient care, number one. Um, and, I've got to learn a lot about medical aids, how that impacts people's lives. Also working with families as well, because these things don't just impact individuals, they impact um, a family unit. So um, yeah, it's basically a very traumatized uh, population. Um, so it's a lot of working through trauma and helping them adjust to their new lives and the tremendous difficulties that they're experiencing. Um, yeah. I've, I can't really think of anything else to explain, but uh, yeah, I work normal Monday to Friday, seven till four. Um, also, obviously it encompasses the different domains that's necessary for internship, which is like psychotherapy with adolescents, adults and children, group therapy, science mm -hmm. assessment. Uh, we do a lot of neuropsychological screening um, because obviously people need to return to work, but they need to know how they've been impacted neurologically and how that might change for when they do return to work, what things they need, what support they need, or, or graded supervision when they return to work. Um, yeah, there's lots of internship training and um, things like that. So I've learned a lot from the hospital side of things. I've also been very privileged to assist with COVID patients as well as post-COVID patients now. So there's been a lot of um, a lot of support on the front line um, from from my company side and from my side. Yeah. So I've learned I've learned a tremendous amount um, as an individual um, and as a, uh, and an individual within a practice as well mm. with other psychologists. That sounds so fulfilling. Awesome. No, definitely. It's it's. I, I wouldn't change it even during COVID. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Internship, you know, I was, I felt when I looked back in one, I was a baby um, mm. learning, I was learning to walk. You, you feel like a baby in undergrad, but in M1, in, in you really, you really start learning what it means to be a psychologist. I find, unless obviously yep. you guys did a bit more practical work before I did. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, internship, it, it, you, you don't dip your toes, you, you go in. You go so, in, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like as much as I did have, you know, first study at SACAP, Michaela, and I actually posted this yesterday on my WhatsApp. I feel like SACAP taught me how to, yes, there was practicals, but it was different, especially the first two qualifications were about counseling and communication. I feel like 
it taught me how to communicate with my clients and how to contain my clients. But obviously your M1 teaches you how to really do therapy because there's only so much you can do, you know, when you are, yes, you got the practical experience, but when you are um, in your, in your degree and you are doing counseling, which we wouldn't even really call deep therapy, which when you are doing counseling with whichever placement that you've been put, you know, under SACA. But I feel like yeah, M1 is definitely the point where you are like being taught how to do therapy as opposed to back then the practicals I had at SACAP. Um, and I don't know what Michaela, um, how Michaela feels, um, how Eliota feels about it. But back then at SACAP, you're just containing, you're really not doing deep therapy. Um, you really get taught to be a psychologist in your master's program. I feel, I, I definitely feel the same way. I absolutely agree. It's just a basic counseling skills, you mm. know, the rapport building, active listening, your body language. It's just self-awareness, actually. Mm. Is there anything you want to add, Eliotta, regarding internship? Um, well, I did my internship at the military, specifically the um, Area Military Health Unit. So that's first part of the South African Defense, National Defense Force. Um, so I was based in, in Riviera, the health unit in Riviera. Mm. And yeah, it was such an unfamiliar context. I had had heard about it. Um, and, and my dad actually worked with the military at the border for animal inspection. So I, I had a bit of understanding of what happens in the military. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was a fulfilling internship, although... Um, I think in the end, I, well, I'll get to that, but um, <laughs> what internship entails is like, it also focuses on training philosophy and client exposure. It looks at um, assessments as well as psychotherapy. Um, there's also a multidisciplinary involvement and also some neurological exposure. Yeah. We also do, did um, comprehensive health assessment. It's called CHAR. For, these are for soldiers who are about to deploy. So deploying to um, whatever country, Congo, um, or even just deploying within South Africa. Mm -hmm. So we just do assessments to check where their psychological well-being is at. Um, so here we worked in a multidisciplinary team because then the dentists would check, you know, dental work. The doctors mm -hmm. would check medical and so forth and then we would check more of the psychological and i think my favorite part was actually we did what we what they called uh, care of the caregivers so this was actually giving care to people who give care so your nurses your yeah. psychologists um people who actually are never given care actually mm -hmm. um so with the military you can't go in if you have like dual uh, citizenship um so you have to be a south african um and yeah it was we were, how many were we? We were five. One was an actual soldier. And then the, the rest of us were just everyday civilians. Mm -hmm. um, and we were placed at different units. And then we would rotate after six months. So I was placed in Riviera the first six months. And in the last six months, I was placed at the unit in Wonderboom. Um, as you know, the military is quite secretive and, and all of that. So yeah. there were a lot of processes and a lot of hierarchy that we had to um, submit to. So I think that was the most difficult part, having to submit to hierarchy, having to understand how the hierarchy works, having to capture notes on like complicated systems. You know, you I just thought we were just going to write process notes down, but it was more mm. complex than that. So that was not the, 
so nice part of it. Um, and also, uh, you know, in the military, the cliche is it's an abuse of power. That is not a cliche. That's so true. Mm. Um, and you often have to seem powerful or act powerful or actually like you have to dominate in order for you to be seen in order for you to be heard yeah. you have to show some sort of authority so that was like the daily challenge that i had to struggle with but my experience from say my experience from up i think it prepared me well enough for the military they yeah. were quite diverse um sorry um you expect just trauma from the military but there was actually quite diverse presenting problems you know a lot of uh, couples therapy had to happen a lot of um there was a lot of depression a lot of even psychosis which i refused to work with yeah um but yeah that's basically sums up what happened that's actually true that's quite interesting because you know you expect post-traumatic stress disorder you know that's in my mind, military, that's like the first thing that I think of. But I'm glad that it was actually quite diverse. And it also seems like, yeah, quite, you know, an internship that has got different parts. And I think that's what makes it exciting, the fact that you don't do the same thing every single day in your internship program. So I feel like that's also quite fulfilling. Um, Eliotta, what, what, was, what is your research topic and how did you go about choosing it? So I was the over ambitious child. <laughs> I, There's always one. I, oh, I went for psychosocial predictors of academic success among first year students. Um, so the reason I went for that is um, just based on my research and just my, my other passion that I mentioned that um, it's education. Mm -hmm. I saw that there's a mismatch between um, skill demand in our country and um, supply. So basically, education from higher education and a gap with the labor market and i wanted to understand what uh, what makes first year progress what makes them successful um looking specifically at factors of help seeking do first years um seek help during the first year how do they adjust in the first year their academic motivation their self-esteem and also their perceived stress so these factors i thought were important um and they're actually understudied in South Africa. There hasn't been much research on inspectors in South Africa. And because mm. I'm passionate about education, I went for that. And Lord, I was overambitious. <laughs> but that's a good topic. It's, it's quite needed. Like you say, there is quite a gap. Yeah. And that's what research is about. And how's it yeah. going? Sure. So because of COVID, I, well, not just because of COVID, number one, because of COVID, there was a delay in my data collection and also yeah. because of my supervisor. Um, there was a huge delay in my research. I think a lot of times, um, like I said, initially, people forget what it's like when mm. they're in this position mm. and they don't prioritize their students. Um, so, yeah, I felt... Uh, hugely neglected um during my research and also my actually my supervisor actually wanted to utilize my research so she's integrating it into her own research which also delays the per the process um but yeah i'm, I'm hopeful and hopefully i get finished soon yeah. um yeah i'm busy trying to finish it Yes, research is research is just drama. I had two research processes um, 
uh, midway in my internship, my supervisor left and I had to restart. So research is very unpredictable. So for everyone, anyone listening, wishing to go into a master's program, just know that research can go any direction. <laughs> that's, that's just literally how it, how yeah. it is. Yep. Do a systematic review and your passion will follow. <laughs> I ended up doing that. I literally submitted last year, which basically marked my M3 year. Because yeah. I did my M1 in 2018. So I did my master's for three yeah. years because of research. But it's over and it will be over for you soon as well. Uh, Michaela, you. your research topic has got to do with animals. Tell us a bit about that, but also why, why that interest. I know you're passionate about animals. Yeah, so um, how, it, how it actually went is that you, we got given a whole bunch of different um, supervisors, as far as I remember, mm. different supervisors' names and then um, the topics that they cover. Yeah. And we had to choose our, our top three topics that we, we would like to research. And animal-assisted activities was one of them because I'm passionate about animals. Um, and so, you know, they assign you accordingly to whomever has the space and whatnot, because a lot of obviously supervisors have other supervisees. Mm. So um, I'm, I'm happy that I got the topic. It, it focuses on um, the elderly who participate in animal assisted activities, which um, is actually a very neglected side of research um, when you go into it because, you know, our elderly population worldwide, let alone in South Africa, is rapidly growing. Um, and, you know, old age homes come into existence because uh, there's a big need for support systems, um, especially in our South African context. And um, what ends up happening is, you know, a lot of elderly go into old age homes and, and they get neglected. Um, they, they don't take part in a lot of physical activity, which ends up impacting their mood, their quality of life and so on and so forth. And, um, and as you can imagine, their overall well-being is so severely impacted um, that, it, that it impacts them negatively and impacts their life. And, and our elderly are our, um, you know, they're, they're an important part of our communities. So um, investigating how animal-assisted activities actually bring into, um, into their lives a lot of positivity. There's so much research on the influence um, physically, emotionally, um, psychologically. There's so much positive um, research about it. So just to kind of figure out the gap in that and how we can further implement it in, um, in our society. Mm. Yeah. That's so I'm, I'm passionate yeah, no, I'm, I'm passionate about it because it, it's actually an important side of uh, research that I, I didn't know about mm. until I started researching it. And that's the thing is you, it starts becoming your baby as soon as yeah. you, you plant your feet in it. Um, but I'm, I'm also like you hope I'm in my third year now because mm. of COVID and like L. Um, just because I couldn't reach my participants in COVID. And uh, I must be honest, I... I had to learn very much about being flexible and I also had to allow myself to, to grieve the process that I had planned for myself because exactly. that's, yeah. that's not what I wanted for my life. I didn't want to do this another year. We've been studying a long time. And, mm. and that in, earlier you go into undergrad and you're like, oh, you know, I'm so passionate. <laughs> and then you get to honors and you're like, oh, oh shit, uh, there's a lot more to do. Yep. So I, yeah, I've, I've cried a lot of tears over my research, lots yeah. and lots, even even today. Um, so, 
yeah, it, it's, you, you have to be committed. Masters is not easy. Yeah, um, yeah. I know everyone kind of says that, but you, you don't realize it until you're in it and you're like, mm. this is a lot. It's a lot. It's hectic. It is seriously not easy. <laughs> Certainly possible, but yeah. We're, we're doing this podcast and I, I like want to encourage people because we need psychologists, but it just, it's, I, it's, not <laughs> yep. it's not all roses. Yeah, 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 we do. There's such a great need. You know, there is such a great need in, in the country, in the world for psychologists, you know, especially at a time such as this. I mean, we are in a flippant pandemic, you know, so many people are going through so much. We need that emotional support. Anyways. Okay, so the next thing that I want to ask you ladies is, you know, the kind of um, specific element that I wanted us to focus on in this particular um, episode of the M selection, which is self-care. So my question is, what does self-care mean to you individually? And why is it important, especially, you know, in the field, you know, not in the field, but especially in the journey of master, of being a master student and including an internship? What does self-care mean to you and why is it especially important as a master's student in our field? Um, I think, well, self-care for me is um, about taking charge of your holistic well-being and that's uh, based on like the physical, psychological, the relational and emotional. So for me, it's all about setting boundaries, you know, um, having a gentle narrative like an inner narrative that is gentle um but that is also objective and just fueling yourself um yeah so that's how i define it why is it important in our master's journey um number one because you're human and um we are not an endless source we run out of we experience things like compassion fatigue we burn out we um, are triggered during um, our master's process because you have to confront yourself before you can confront clients, you know. Um, so I think it's it's very important because you are dealing with yourself, you're confronting yourself, um, and you are being stretched. So I think it's very important to take charge of that holistic well-being. I love that. I love that. That's a good one. Uh, Michaela? It's very hard to follow after that. Thank you. <laughs> she like she yeah hey she just went there. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, she's always been like that, just so that you know. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, puts things so beautifully together. Um, I for me, self care really is about being intentional. Um, mm. being intentional about what I do with myself. Um, how I speak to myself. How I envision what it is that i want to do um physically mentally spiritually emotionally all of those things um it sounds very romanticized because (laughs) it's it's like you read it and you're like oh no sure this is super easy and we preach it to our clients but Mm -hmm. it's it's hard work um being that intentional um for me burnout um both in m1 and internship was uh very close um because as l says uh you you get confronted with a lot of things um, in the process of being present with your clients. Because if, you, if you're doing what you're doing um, and you're doing it properly, whoever decides mm-hmm. what properly is, mm-hmm. you, you're being so present um, and you're carrying with you so many people's journeys. Um, and, you know, you, you obviously learn the tools and how to um, debrief from those journeys and, and leave yeah. them at work. But it, 
it is impossible. You are human. There is no way that it will not touch you. Mm. Um, and so being intentional about taking care of myself as well as um, I like to call it living, living um, with boundaries, uh, yes. which sounds very obvious, but saying to myself, I can't do a hundred percent today. Yeah. I, I can't, yeah. but I can do 70%. I can give my clients 70% of me today, or I can give this 70%. And you know what? I'm not going to do any harm and I'm still going to be there and I'm still going to do a good job to, to put away the, um, imposter syndrome which which is always with me um mm. and say you know what i'll i'll still i'll still be me i'll still be a psychologist i'll still be michaela and and, and that's okay at 70 percent today and when i feel a bit better tomorrow or the day afterwards then i'll do more than that so i think living within boundaries and being very strict about those boundaries um and and being uh, kind to myself yeah um, i think has been the biggest thing because uh, we're not superhuman. Everyone thinks that psychologists have their shit together because they're psychologists, and it's such yeah. a <laughs> uh, And I've I've heard so many people go, "Ah, you're a psychologist, so so you know how to look after yourself." I literally had someone say that to me today, and I thought, "Well, I'm a human first, so I I do struggle." Yeah, I love so. the two things that I'm getting from what you guys said is the kindness to yourself, but also the intentionality. Self-care is not just going to happen just because you want it to happen. You really need to be intentional about it. And I think, I feel like for me, it's like really checking in with yourself at different points, mm -hmm. you know, five minutes out of the day, you know, um, I don't know, a cup, an hour out of the week is to really check in with yourself mm -hmm. to kind of be a thermometer, because if you don't have that ability, then you won't be able to figure out where you are mm -hmm. and what you need. Do you get what I mean? So it's mm -hmm. pointless doing all these things in the name of self-care when you're not even aware of what you need in that moment. So you need to have that ability to just sit in it and kind of be like, okay, how am I feeling? All right, what do I need? You know, as opposed mm -hmm. to, because I think often, people also can have these self-care tasks that are very unrelated to what they need because they don't Absolutely. have the ability to check in with themselves I, I said I think along with that with checking in with ourselves it's also important uh, to check in with our surroundings because um, mm. if I've learned anything is that we are not single entities um, yeah. we do require feedback from others to grow and to be open to that feedback because, um, you know, you're not an island. So yeah, yeah. Um, I've learned a lot from those around me, um, whether it be constructive or critical criticism, which has been a bit obviously harder to take, but mm -hmm. um, but to, to be open to it and to, to look for it as well, look for opportunities to grow. Yeah, yeah. And I think speaking on, of environments, you said something um, quite significant, Michaela, when you said that, you know, it's important to realize that, for example, today I can't give 100%, I can only give 70 And that is good for today. I think also with environments also to realize that today I can't really deal with, for example, my nagging sister or my nagging, you know, distant cousin or something like that. And for it to be okay, you know, for you either for a couple of hours or in that day, to just kind of be absent from that individual you know because as much as we're not islands but sometimes we need to kind of remove ourselves not permanently but you know temporarily from certain um from certain mm -hmm. environments definitely yeah 
Um, so the next thing that I want to know from you guys is in which ways would you guys say personally, you know, you ensured self-care in your M1 year, in your internship, I mean, even now, even this year, you know, what sorts of practices that you employ, what kind of things that you do um, that you'd advise, you know, anyone currently in their master's or, you know, anyone who is going to go into their master's in the, in the future? Sure. I think <laughs> you go. Um, I think the first thing I want to say is, you know, there's this narrative that self-care is all about like facial masks and going to spas. Yo, it's way beyond that. Can we stop that narrative? Um, for me, the most important one, and, and, and I think Michaela can attest to this, is I had to learn to set boundaries. I mentioned initially in the podcast that um, I was the parentified child, so my initial go-to is to be a hero. Um, so I, I had to learn to set boundaries. So I started setting boundaries, and what I mean by this is I started saying I'm not a therapist at home in my relationship and in my friendships. My As soon as I leave school or as soon as I leave the internship, mm. I am just a daughter, mm. a fiancé, a friend and I do not have the capacity to be a safe space at the moment mm -hmm. so it's it was about changing my language and learning to say no if I was saying no I was setting those boundaries another thing um I did for self was fueling my body with food um like I said we had to attend every single day so I needed the stamina I needed to to which I maintained self-care and um one of my mentors actually said something very powerful to me um, during the, um, what we do is actually inactive work because we use our brain and, and talking a lot. Yeah. And she said inactive work requires active. And what that means is you need to move after being a therapist, after being a student psychologist and intern psychologist, mm. the way we rest is actually by moving, not by watching TV and laying down, but by actually going for a run. Um, going for a hike so i started doing those things michaela and i actually we grew close during our m1 and we started going out on dates we started doing things together so finding your your accountability partner as one, well, someone mm. who will give you feedback as michaela said someone who will do things with you um yeah. so i think those are like the top four ways in which i um did self-care apart from the facial masks i did do that but that was not like the dominant yeah. thing I like that. I like the, the moving aspects because as much as we house trauma in our bodies, I feel like we house so many other emotions and experiences in our bodies. So it's very important to, I mean, even if you're not a runner, like take a walk, stretch, you know, and just kind of release that. Because a lot of times also we experience a lot of um, physical pain and physical discomfort, whereas mm -hmm. it's really just psychosomatic signs of stress. And I like the moving mm -hmm. aspect. But what you also said, um, Eliata, you mentioned, hmm, I lost my train of thought now, <laughs> but uh, you mentioned the fact that it's not just face masks. I mean, there are so many cheap things, free things that you can do for self-care. Yeah. I remember one day I had a terrible, terrible week in my M1. It was probably like within the first four months or so. And I got back to my mm -hmm. flat and by the parking bays, there's, there are these, you know, like small um, stones. And I just took yeah. my shoes off and I just went walking on those stones. And it was so amazing. It felt like, mm -hmm. you know, I had spoken, to, it, it equated to literally speaking to someone about 
about the day that I had because it was a form of, like I just said, just releasing all the tension from the week mm. that I had just experienced, you know, okay. stepping on those stones and them kind of like poking me under my feet was a form of relief yeah. for me. So it does not need to cost money, you know, and I like that you mentioned that it's not just about facials, massages, road trips, vacations. That's a part of it, but there are little free things that you can do also. Um, Michaela, jump in. Jump in, girl. Um, uh, before I start, I just want to say also um, I love what Elle said about having an accountability partner, mm. which we, had, we did find within each other. Um, which, which sometimes looks like besides going out on dates, sometimes it looks like I found this, um, you know, this reminder that, you know, you, you have you breathed today or have you had enough water or, um, here's some points to think on, you know, these things, because we are so, so busy Mm. living our lives that we don't stop to actually take a breath. And so having someone else to sometimes check in with you and say, have you taken a breath today Mm. actually makes a difference. Um, so one of the cheapest and most fulfilling things I think to have in a life, um, is, is a a friendship that does that for you. So to find that person, um, it makes it a lot easier, especially if that person has experienced what you're experiencing in, in a master's, Mm. um, as well. Uh, cause I love my partner uh, to death, but, um, (laughs) yeah, shame. He, he doesn't really get, um, masters and. And uh, psychology is the best. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he tries his best. Um, But I think for me, uh, the the cheapest form of self care was to to cry it out. If Mm. I'm being honest, Um, to to be okay with not being okay, because um, in in a space of psychology, as I said earlier, you're expected to have your shit together. Mm, um, yeah. to get to a place to go you know this is this is crap i hate this i why am i doing psychology and and having all those questions and getting up the next morning and saying you know it's okay i'm meant to be here yeah so to allow myself that space to to break down and to get back up Mm-mm. um was probably the, the best thing for me um as well as being, uh, as I said earlier, very intentional about taking a step away from technology. I know that sounds kind of strange, but to put my phone away, to put my laptop away, to turn the TV off, because um, I'm also one of those people who who likes to sit and watch series, but I realize I'm also escaping what's overwhelming me, working through it. So taking a step back and taking a deep breath in, um, yeah. has been something that's been very important for self-care on my side of things because I will I'll do stuff until I feel like I've done enough and then it never feels like enough so you can yeah. been doing stuff yeah. I'm also like you that <laughs> it's that <laughs> perpetual filling of a of a hole that'll never be filled never mm-hmm. which that's, is where that's good that's good, Michaela. The advice that I got um, when I was leaving SACAP and the next year I was going to start my master's, I actually got this advice This advice from Kim. I don't know if you guys know Kim. Um, head of Will, Work Integrated Learning. Mm-hmm. She said mm-hmm. to me, make sure that you schedule time to go home. Because also with me, I was in Bodge and home is in the Val. 
because she was like, if you don't do that, you'll fall into the cracks of, you know, um, deciding last minute you're going to go home and then it doesn't work out because, you know, you feel like what we just, what you just said, Michaela, I always feel like there's something more to do, but you've never done enough, you know? And she said, make, even if you decide every month and a half, you're going to go home and stick to that. Don't ever change that. Obviously I didn't really do that to the fullest, especially in the beginning, <laughs> but that was the most amazing advice that I, that, that I could get from anyone because life happens. You get so consumed, like your whole life get so consumed with the master's program that you forget other things and it would be so amazing to come home even if because it, it was impossible around internship that's when I started having boundaries in terms of I'm not taking work home you know when I visit home for the weekend but in my M1 it was kind of impossible you know I hadn't kind of mm-hmm. gotten used to that and mastered that but um, as the year progressed I managed to master that and that was so amazing you know where it's like okay this is a non-negotiable on this weekend the fifth weekend I'm going home even if I get an assignment that I'm given on the Friday I'll make a plan I have to go home even if I go with work at home and do work Mm, literally yeah yeah literally um and the other thing that I did for myself I started having what I call self-care Fridays in my M1 and it's so ingrained (laughs) in my brain matter to the point where even like to this day every Friday my brain switches off like after one so obviously we had classes right so i'd go to class on friday um our classes were like eight or half past eight until like four and very rarely they'd make us leave like at two like if you had that nice lecture on a friday you'd leave at two but I'd always had my brain prepared my mind prepared that okay i'm probably leaving at four but everything every you know after after four o'clock when i get home on friday after four o'clock, I'm not touching any work. So I call them self-care Fridays. So it, I don't really have a plan of what I'm going to do, but I'm not doing anything work-related. I'm not touching research. I'm not touching anything. And it's literally um, something I started doing from my M1 year until today. Like even earlier today, um, the first half of my morning, I really did nothing. And then now, because it's a Friday today, as we're recording this episode, FYI, for whoever's yeah. listening. Um, and this is like, I've had two interviews. I interviewed someone else before you guys. But this is like the work that I'm doing today. And that's it. After that, I'm going to snack and watch series. It's, I'm so used to it to a point where if I start working, I can, I can work on a morning. Like when I did research last year, I would still work on Friday mornings. But around one o'clock, nothing is working. My brain's not working. My critical thinking's not, like my prefrontal cortex is just offline. So that's how I'm so used to it, that Fridays are self-care Fridays. So I think that's, that's also something that people can, can add. Is, is there anything else that you guys want to add on self-care? before we close up and wrap up? Um, I think I just want to say, let's normalize it because it's, mm. it's almost, an, people think it's such a luxury. Like you have to have money or you have to be a certain type of person. Yeah. But let's normalize it. Mm-mm. I like that. Michaela, anything from your side? Um. I mean, you do you. You find your gra- uh, your your groove, and um, you know uh, we we've I think touched on a lot of very real things because mm. we get fed this idea of what masters will look like. 
And while, mm-hmm. you know, we've touched on a lot of difficult things, there are a lot of positive things as well. Yeah, that's um, true. Even in just the, the relationships and the friendships that, I, that I've built from it. So mm-hmm. self-care is what you make of it at the end of the day. It's a choice. Yeah. So choose, choose for yourself. And and choose you, choose yourself. Mm -hmm. And different things work for different people. Also, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. I was about to say, um, if you look at the word self care, you cannot give care to a self that you don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, So, learning about yourself, we are constantly evolving and like discover the self, explore the self, and it's okay if your self care looks different from mine Um, i think we such a movement of imitating and appearing to be so luxurious when it comes to self-care but it's different impacts so discover the self so you can know how to take care of the self yeah yeah that's true i like that okay ladies so we have reached the end there is one last thing i want to do we're gonna play a quick rapid fire lightning round i call it the yhv lightning round okay so you guys are going to complete sentences i wanna i wanna say i don't want you guys to think but i want you guys to think but you need to answer very quickly makes sense okay okay so Okay, let's decide now. Who goes? Who answers first? Elf's gonna answer first. <laughs> you guys kill me. Okay, Eliota, here, let's do this so that it's fair. Eliota, you start for the first qu- the first question. You go first, and then Michaela goes. Then the second question we swap. Michaela, Eliota, like that. It's four different statements, and then it's the last question. Okay. Okay. Ready. Yeah. Okay. So complete the following sentence. Uh the one thing that people don't really know about me is yeah. Yes. Eliotta. Oh, you're supposed to go. <laughs> She's like, yes. How do you hear me? No. Oh no, go ahead. No, I couldn't hear you. I said that I'm not just spiritual. Oh. Like okay. I'm not one time. Michaela? Oh, um, so the one thing that people don't know about me is that I um, have a, a very big passion for anime. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I don't know that. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> people don't know that about like, me. Like, huh? She even okay. named her cats after anime characters. Are you Sorry, for okay, real? Like, oh my gosh. Yes. You really I'm, I'm also <laughs> going, I'm going to Japan for my honeymoon, so oh. you must know. Okay, yeah. okay, okay, girl. Um, next sentence to complete. I'm functioning from the highest version. So the podcast is called the high, your highest version. So complete yeah. the sentence. I'm functioning from the highest version of myself when I am. Michaela? Uh, when I'm in nature. Eliota? When I'm being true to myself. Hmm. Eliota always hmm. goes deep, hey? Michaela, is this how she right, is? Right. Bruh, it's rough. Guys, I am a writer. I mean, okay, we'll give you that. We'll give you that. Okay, the next sentence to complete. My superpower is... Eliata, I think you are. Discernment. Oh, discernment. That's a good one. Michaela? It's very heightened. Mm. Uh, Warmth. Warmth. I like that. Mm. Okay, the next one. The book I'm currently reading is Michaela. 
No, it's it's Elle's turn now. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I am not reading anything at the moment. Okay. <laughs> Michaela? Uh, uh, the book I'm currently reading at the moment is called Through to the End. It's to help patients in palliative care. Hmm. Nice. The legacy I want to leave is... Sure. Okay. The legacy I want to leave um, is just a legacy of power, empowerment yeah. um, to those around me, uh, no matter what walks of life, empowerment. Yeah, yeah. Eliata? Mm. The legacy I want to leave is financial freedom. Oh, amen to that. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Amen to that. We got to do better for the next generation. The last question that I have for you ladies is what are you currently working on and how can people connect with you? And by connecting with you is, you know, me doing the mini series for this first season of my podcast, um, the mini series um, that is focused on master selection in psychology is, you know, I feel like there's so many mentorship opportunities that are needed. I know there's a couple of people who are you know giving them their time to mentor you know upcoming people who want to apply for for masters whether they're currently at undergrad or at the point where they can actually apply for masters so if maybe someone has a question about your experience about masters whatever it is um not your phone numbers no an email address or if you um are public on social media it can be that as well but what are you working on and how can people connect with you um, I am working on um, being certified to start my autism school yeah. and I'm also working on finishing research so I can become a registered counseling psychologist. I um, just started farming with my husband so working on being like a fully emerged farmer. Um, yeah I think those are the three things I'm actively working on. Oh I'm actually also working on my what do you call it to you? My EP. I'm going to release like a poetry EP. Oh. Um, when, when I find the confidence. And <laughs> yeah, people can reach me on Instagram at Eliotta underscore M. Or they can email me at eliottamahato at gmail.com. Okay. I'll add that on the show notes in writing as well. So don't worry about that. Michaela? Um, at the moment, I'm currently working towards a lot of things within my company. So um, working towards providing a psychological support for all the patients that come into the hospital, because at mm. the moment, it's, it's, um, there's a structure of, of, you know, patients being referred through social work and all of that. But I believe that people are all entitled to psychological support. Mm. So I'm working on that. Also, I'm working toward providing um, house mothers group group therapy so at uh, jacaranda children's homes who provide them a support system as well as um education groups um, more cbt based um but you know useful tools uh, to assist the kids that are there that are already traumatized and whatnot yeah um trying very hard to finish my research this year uh so that i can um go into to my my wedding later on with no regrets yes <laughs> yeah. yeah 
Com completing, um, although this doesn't necessarily make sense to a lot of people, but completing my master's as me um, before I changed my name. So, oh. uh, yeah. And, um, yeah, just working on me, okay? Always. Yeah. Always, uh, always. Always. Um, if people want to get hold of me, they are welcome to email me on MichaelaLawrence at gmail.com okay awesome ladies thank you so 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 very much um for being willing to do this episode with me and good luck both to both of you with your research i i i, I believe and i think you guys will be i know you guys will be done by the end of the year um but also you know with the journey leading up to um preparing for boards and writing boards thank you so much and all the best with all your future endeavors Mm, don't worry, you you're setting the, the blueprint. will come to you for notes since you're going first. We'll be oh, like, okay. Oh. <laughs> I will definitely. Have a good job. <laughs> yeah. I'll definitely. Well, thank you for having us. Thank you. Um, and well done on your podcast. I think we need a lot of these kind of movements mm -hmm. um, that normalize comfortable conversations. So well done to you. And we look forward to hearing more content from you. Hope that pen gets inspired, that brain gets inspired. And yeah, man, we're proud of you. Oh, yeah. You. And thank you for making the space for our, our future colleagues, because I know that yeah, this is something yeah. that I would have loved. Mm. Um, I, would have I know, loved right? It. Yes. Yeah. So this yeah. is a Alrighty guys. All the best. Thank you. Bye you guys. Thank you, sure. Bye. Bye. Thank you.